everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wing Addiction Podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, my co-host is my lovely wife, Leslie. Hi, y'all. Uh, this week, we we got a real special guest. We're live on location here. We're not actually... Well, you're, you're watching us as live as it gets uh, through the uh, streaming waves, but uh, we're not actually live. We're, we're on site. This is our first episode that we've streamed in a while. We're on site at Kiker Bottoms Wildlife Management Area, and today our special guest is a biologist with the T Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency. His name is Bill Smith. Hello, everyone. And... Uh, before we get started and talking to Bill, we're going to thank our sponsors. We want to mention uh, Cable Gangs. Uh, if you need a tie-out system for your dog, a gang system, and if you have dogs and you travel, you do need a tie-out system. So go see Cable Gangs at Cable underscore Gangs. That's with a Z on Instagram. Check them out on Facebook. And um, also their... If you buy a three-dog tie-out system, but you use our code, they'll give yep. you a fourth tie-out. Yep, that's right. So you could technically have a four-dog system instead of a three-dog system. Yep. And what's that code? Mention, no, I just mentioned that you heard it on the podcast okay. for that code. Yep. Mention you heard it on the podcast. Uh, Dakota 283 Kennels. Dakota 283 Kennels has been a sponsor of ours from the get-go. We want to thank Dakota 283. Greg Cronkite is a super guy. If you need a kennel... For your dog that's safe, reliable, dependable, and affordable, check out Dakota 283 Kennels anywhere. Anything from their Dine and Dash to their um, 5.0 and 3.5 watering systems, all the way up to their, uh, we use their G3 medium kennels and we love them. Check out the size options because for this, the dimensions are different from other Rotomoto uh, kennels. And for us, this one works better because of the height and the actual inside dimensions versus other brands. Yep, we actually had a listener this week uh, say, I just bought my first Dakota 283, and I think he got uh, a medium. He got a medium yep. as well. And he said, has a 60-pound setter, he said. Yep, yep. Uh -huh. and said it fit fit him great. So uh, check out Dakota283Kennels.com. Use our discount code UOA10 for a 10% discount. And patrons, you will get a little bit bigger discount than that. And also, we want to check out Deer Lick Ridge Game Calls. Thank you, Deer Lick Ridge Game Calls. Check them out at www.deerlickridgecalls.com. Anything turkey, anything deer. Uh, they got lures. They got scents. Uh, Major's got it going on over there at Deer Lick Ridge Game Calls. We want to thank you, Deer Lick Ridge. Check them out and use our code WA10. WA10 for a 10% discount. Off your stuff from Deer Lick Ridge Game Calls. We want to thank them. Award-winning calls, beautiful craftsmanship. Oh yeah, he's he's won over sixty national awards with his calls. He's he's uh, he's amazing. Not only is he a, a call maker, he's also a, uh, a six an avid hunter. He he's a, about a 50, 50 day a year hunter somewhere. He's mm -hmm. hunts in Georgia and everywhere. But anyway, check out Major over at Deer Lick Ridge Game Calls. Also, be sure to check our Patreon out if you want to throw us a bone, um, help support what we do. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Wing Addiction Podcast. Do you want to remind them about the perks of patron being, becoming oh, a yeah. patron? Yep. Uh, patrons get huge discounts. And uh, we also still have a giveaway. Yep. We still have a giveaway going on right now. We're giving away a Dakota 283 um, kennel plus the feeding watering system. Mm -hmm. um, so... If you uh, want to enter into that, you need to visit our Instagram. And if you like 
and ta and follow and tag a friend and that'll get you that'll, that'll get three, you or that'll get that'll you, get you entry if you want to become entry. a patron yep. if you want to become a patron that will if you're a five dollar patron you'll get one entry one entry if you become a ten dollar patron. patron you get I can't remember. Is it two? Five. I don't five. know. I've got it. I've got it written down. But I think a twenty a twenty dollar patron gets you ten entries. Yeah, or something twenty dollar like patron will get you. 20 you can go on our site entries. and see that. You can go and on your chances and are out. really really good. We have we do have some more people um, signing up to become patrons, and we appreciate every one of you. And so we have more entries now, but it's not closed yet. And there's your odds are still probably the best out there for this uh, giveaway and also we have a hunt giveaway that is about to wrap up yep. if you want to go hunting with us in Kansas for the opener um, we've already got the cabins uh, reserved um, and so become a patron visit our patreon um, and for more details it'll yep. tell you exactly what you can get yep. we're giving away two patron hunts to Kansas so that's gonna be huge that's gonna be a great hunt we're we're really stoked for that one so, without further ado, we want to bring on Mr. Bill Smith. Bill, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Awesome. Fantastic. Awesome. Bill, you and I had talked, uh, of course, we've talked through the years, but we had talked recently about the success of Kiker Bottoms Wildlife Management Area in East Tennessee. Um, and we also uh, talked a little bit about Foothills Wildlife Management Area. We've been talking a little bit more about Foothills. Uh, we're going to get into that today, but Bill, before we do that, tell us a little bit about where you come from and what you do with Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency. Okay, I'm I'm a Blount County native. Um, I was uh, first hired as a wildlife officer, and I worked in Upper East Tennessee for about 10 years, a little over, and then got the opportunity to come back to my home county and work here with Kiker Bottoms and some of the other nearby wildlife management areas, so it was... Uh, it was truly a blessing to be able to come here and work with some of the things I like, and that's black bears, bob whites, and waterfowl. Uh -huh. And it's kind of it's just absolute dream come true. Yeah. So I grew up as a small game hunter, you know, bird dogs, beagles, and and uh, squirrel hunting, and that that type of thing. When and just literally in my lifetime, it's we we flip flop. So when I was a young teenager we had plenty of small game and hardly any no large you know no big game in, mm -hmm. to speak of and now we're just we just flopped over to the opposite so we have lots of our big game populations are thriving and but unfortunately a lot of our small game populations are declining yeah and that's one thing you know that's that's what we're here to talk about today uh it's it's you're fortunate right here where foothills and kiker bottoms the way the crow flies are what probably three to four miles apart they're not far yeah that's right. and and the big game like you said they're th the hogs the wild bear um the deer i mean black bear or believe it or not in east tennessee or or is a very densely populated part of the country as far as black bears go and a lot of people on the outside don't realize that i talked to you know people where we go whether it be kansas or up north to the up and tell them where i'm from and you know they ask what we have and i said well we've got a dense population of black bears and it really people's like really it's like yeah well they don't realize you know the foothills of the appalachians we got a lot of black bear here but um that's right yeah that's awesome um you went to university of tennessee did you say bill that's right and uh -huh. you studied wildlife fishery science wildlife fishery science awesome now we're on location here uh if you're watching us on youtube here you can see behind us and to what you would be our right your left 
We've got about uh, here on Kiker Bottoms. How many acres did you say was about 650? 650. Now, Bill, when you take this over, uh, how long has that been? That was in 1996. 1996. How many covey birds do you think was here? There might have been two. There was very few, but mm -hmm. there, there were a few. You know, holding on. Of course, uh, most of what you're looking at didn't look anything like it did then, and it was mm -hmm. a typical East Tennessee farm, which was mostly fescue pasture, and uh, they did try to you know, do a little row cropping in the bottoms, but overall it was cattle, you know, and fescue pasture. Mm -hmm. Now, when when you took this over, Bill, this land was, was this land donated to Ducks Unlimited initially, or how did that, how did that take place? Well, the state has a uh, wetlands acquisition fund, and that is, it's a, it's a small amount of tax money when people buy and purchase land that goes to this wetland, and it's, it's it was, its purpose is to save wetlands all across our state. Mm -hmm. And this one happened to have some wet areas. And I gotta give a shout out to Billy Menzer. He's mm -hmm. my mentor and, and was my teacher at University of Tennessee. And Billy, one of the greatest conservation guys that you could ever hope for, and he's mm -hmm. also from Blount County, but he came by here at one time and saw it was a flood event going on and saw this, uh, these ducks, in the, which East Tennessee's not known right, for waterfowl. Right, correct. So he saw all these ducks and said, hey, why <clears> can't <throat> we uh, use some of this wetland acquisition fund and buy some some lands in East Tennessee? So, yes, wetlands all across the state are very rare and disappearing, but especially where we live in East Tennessee, mm -hmm. they're almost non-existent. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Most of ours are under you know reservoirs now. Mm -hmm. So so this was a really special place, and, and Billy knew that and realized that, and was able to get together. Yes, Ducks Unlimited also got involved. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they helped out with that. The Foothills Land Conservancy also helped out, and that mm -hmm. was with Billy. And so um, it, it all came together and was able to, to purchase this. Now, now, how many ducks do you, on average, on, a, on an average year, how many ducks do y'all winter here? About 2,500. You know, mm -hmm. exceptional years will be 5,000. Really mm -hmm. poor years, 1,500. Right. So, mm -hmm. so we, and, and all, a lot of it's due to weather, mm -hmm. and uh, so that, that is a factor. So you said this area was like, it, this was agriculture. This was farm land. That's right. Previously. So um, I imagine, um, so that's been over, how long is that, 25? How many? It's been yeah. a long time. Twenty-five years, yeah. Okay. Roughly. So, did you, um, in the beginning, when you're going through the process of your, you're acquiring the land, and then you have to get a plan together to, to, um, I don't want to say manipulate it, but to um, bring it back to a natural, a more natural state, so that you can manage it for wildlife species. Is that? in the beginning like a proactive effort or is it just to leave it alone and see what happens kind of thing i guess um, no well you know my de degrees in wildlife management so it's an active management and although uh the layperson may be looking at it and go oh you, you know the farmers go got away from you didn't it <laughs> yeah. no, no, it, <laughs> no it's designed to look exactly. like this and and uh you will you know we definitely are hearing bob whites around us this morning so mm -hmm the people that say got away from you they're not here in bob whites you right. know? so right so but it is a planned effort and so through our scientific knowledge luckily we have university of tennessee right in our back door and and the research going on there with wildlife and the degrees in wildlife so we're you know there's a lot of things we know and a lot of things we don't know we're we're continuing to learn but 
most of these steps, we've known how to manage for quail mm -hmm. and for a long, long time. And unfortunately, um, uh, mankind has gone, if there's any way that we can completely eradicate quail, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So we've gone to fescue pasture and exotic grass, which is really poor for them, mm -hmm. or we let look around or we let land go completely to forest. Mm -hmm. So we have fescue fields and forest, neither one is what quail need. Mm -hmm. So we had to get rid of here, the exotics, which was fescue, and, and the way we do that is through fire, herbicide, and disking. So those are the three most important tools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've known these, these Aldo Leopold, you know, the, the, the father of wildlife management, uh, modern management, he, he told us this in, since 1930. So mm -hmm. there are some things that we've tweaked and done on, especially modern herbicides are very safe mm -hmm. if used correctly and are one of our most important tools. Of course, fire is, uh, we call the quail here firebird, the mm -hmm. firebird. Mm -hmm. And that was something, unfortunately, uh, when Smokey came around, he did some good things and then some, and it made, but most people made them completely afraid of fire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as human beings, we go seem to extreme. Yep. So mm -hmm. at one time we cut every tree. Now we don't cut any tree. Right. One time we had a moderate amount of fire and sometimes wildfire. Now we have no fire. So mm -hmm. the balance and the, what's needed here, you know, and the proofs in the pudding, so to speak here, is we know that all those tools are important. And if they're used correctly, we'll have quail. Right. Mm -hmm. It's I've told i say this a lot you know the pendulum when it goes one way really far the the thing that happens is it goes the other direction really far as well That's and correct. so that balance is incredibly important and integrated approaches to management is key um but you know in terms of like acquiring the land and how you were talking about how that came to be I think that it's like also apparent that once you acquire that land and then you um, get together your management plan for that land and what and what you're going to do with it, the funding you still have to have funding. That's I mean, right. because I mean, I guess the first big hurdle is requiring the lands, but then you have all those. I mean, it costs money to do prescribed fire. It costs money to do herbicide treatments. Sure. It costs money to do disking, anything else. And, um, you know, so I guess uh, for you guys, it's probably, okay, it's great. It's fantastic that you've acquired all this stuff. But, you know, then you have to start thinking about how are we going to continue to fund this for a long term, I, I imagine. That's what I'm thinking. That's exactly right. And I think that, you know, the average person does not, you know, they assume we get tax money. Mm -hmm. and, and so we do not. You know, we do get, it is hunters and fishermen. It's what drives our agency. And that's managing from bluebirds to black bears and everything in between. Mm -hmm. So all this funding comes on the on the shoulders and backs of our men and women that hunt and fish. That's, mm -hmm. that's where we're funded and supported mm -hmm. and a, a tremendous success. Now, you know, of course my boss, he's, he always hears me whine. I have 15,000 <laughs> acres and I have one guy. One yeah. So there, there is, that, that is a problem. So uh, we'll, maybe we'll have Caleb over here in a few minutes and I'll, I'll have a shout out that we also work with private organizations like Quail Forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they fund these students. Mm -hmm. Sadly, these students, they're in wildlife fisheries at UT and they've never heard a wild bobwhite in their life, mm -hmm. you know, until they come here. And mm -hmm. that's that's a sad thing. Yeah. So if we're going to have biologists and people that care about bobwhites in the future, they have to learn and train now. Mm -hmm. 
And so, yes, academics is very, very important, but so is the hands-on mm -hmm. oh, learning. So they're learning here. They're sweating. They're, they're seeing what it takes, the, exactly the energy and time and, and, mm -hmm. and flat-out sweat it takes mm -hmm. to produce what we have here. Well, I was talking to Caleb uh, before we started doing this podcast, and we were talking about the veg transects and and um, I've I've done a lot of veg transects in my lifetime, but um, not in this. Right. And this is um, I mean, just looking at this and thinking about running a transect makes me start sweating. Oh, that's so, right. And so yeah, it's intense and it's hard work. And uh, and I imagine you know getting just getting the people on the ground to help do that work or finding the money to pay them or whatever i mean it's it's just got to be tough but at the same time man that learning experience so like i mean it is really neat that you have these students at ut and and maybe other colleges nearby but um that at least this is here now and they can come here and they can learn that and do the run transects actually in this area and learn about um, not just the bobwhite quail, but like it, particularly in this area, how it's changed and what a, a restoration project looks like or a conservation project looks like. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's really neat. Now, you, well, you talked about uh, the funding a few minutes ago. Um, everything, you know, places like this are funded by things like tax uh, license sales the Pittman Robertson Act which if a lot of people don't know what the Pittman Robertson Act is it's anything outdoor equipment you buy now basically whether it be from a bow and arrow to a, a box of shells or a, a shotgun a rifle or just clothes you know hunting clothes uh, there's a tax it's called the Pittman Robertson Act that was uh, put in place and so things like that is what you know and what funds the projects that Bill does um, and of course now, does I'm sure does UT does the university help on, in funding in any way here? Uh, not no, not 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 directly, but indirectly they do because they the, these students are actually they're not a TWRA employee; they're Correct. a University of Tennessee Correct. employee. Okay. So in a sense, so they're uh, a shout out to Chris Gray, the professor there now that that really takes these kids under his wing and mm -hmm. and he and he does a lot of things that's not in his job description right, right. so he in a sense yes but actual funding no mm -hmm. but but yeah. so as the old saying goes uh, we was talking earlier you said there was probably two coveys of birds here the old saying is if you build it they will come <laughs> yeah. i think that's from the movie field yeah. yeah that's yeah. from field of dreams <laughs> well you you kind of built this place you didn't really build this place you managed this place bill and and the birds showed up correct uh you went from two coveys uh, you know a guesstimate of about two coveys a year to now what's your spring counts running on this area there? well we you know we we have a estimate we did call counts here we had 36 calling males that translates roughly we're we're you know that varies with weather condition all mm -hmm. that but we're we're running about a bird per two acres a bird per two acres so that's that's what uh, you know we have been at times a bird per acre. We mm -hmm. have been there, and, and of course, quail populations fluctuate right. and weather we can't control. Now, but what's your now? What's your goal? The, the goal, if we can, is when we've sustained that a bird per two acres for not nearly twenty something years, but mm -hmm. we ideally we want that a bird per acre. Right. Okay. So that that is our goal. Um, you know, some of these, um, especially in East Tennessee, some of these places in further south, you'll see that they're doing a lot of other different management techniques and 
and uh, they'll have a higher level than that even but mm-hmm. most of them with well-managed land if you can reach that bird per acre level mm-hmm. that's that's really really good mm-hmm. yeah i've watched um the um, i'm trying to think of the what's the biologist in texas the dale yep dale yep dr dale on quail uh-huh. uh i think they were he was talking about the ranches that that he was overseeing at the time was striving for 1.5 birds per acre right right if, you know if you can get to 1.5 birds per acre you they can sustain themselves in most cases and you got good numbers to cover the areas they're at that's right which so if you're at teetering from one to two birds you're you know a long-term average would you say probably is 1.5 per acre here? I, I would say so yeah, yeah over over the long term yeah yeah when, when we first started doing the work of course that's what happened see we went from really really terrible poor habitat within a three or four year period we have that explosion. Mm-hmm. So, so the the quail really responded. We had the right weather conditions, and they just exploded mm-hmm. in about that fourth or fifth year. And so, we were probably above that one bird per acre at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, trying to fight succession right. here, and that that's a problem because we bought this as a wetland, and it is a wetland. Right. So, we're trying to fight succession where it's wet and fertile. Yep. And those are two. Major <laughs> milestones to overcome. So, mm-hmm. in literally, in, as you maybe can see in the background, if we have two or three wet years and we can't get in there with equipment, yep. And and uh, of course, fire is one of the most important tools, but mm-hmm. water doesn't water burn. Water <laughs> So, so it's important that we get in there, you know, when we can with either equipment or herbicides. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the last three years has been real difficult. Now, what would you say is is your major form? I mean, if people looks around here, that's well, I'm going to say a trained eye. If a trained eye looks around, they look at this and think, wow, this is incredible. But to a, maybe a non-bird hunter or someone that's not real familiar with the, you know, the places the quail live, the cover they have, the forbs and stuff they eat, they look and say, well, this is just a grown-up mess. Yeah. Well, this isn't a grown-up mess. This is a, a paradise for birds. What is your main, co- what would you say your main cover sources and your main food sources are here on Kiker Bottoms alone? Okay, we talk about, uh, you know, on, at one time early on in our management, you know, we, we planted, we, so we planted a lot of ag crop food plots, you know, mm-hmm. at one time that was the, the, the thought, so that was needed a lot of food plots. And we had lots of food plots in the first few years, but when we checked the crops of the quail, it was ragweed, beggar's lice, and partridge pea. Those mm-hmm. were the three main uh, seeds that we would find in a crop. So then we started kind of looking at it in a different way so the same amount of time it takes me to disc and plant and fertilize and spray a, a food plot of an acre mm-hmm. we can burn and disc and stimulate a uh, hundred acres mm-hmm. for the same amount of time mm-hmm. and produce the same amount of food and and what one of the other uh, techniques that we use here that if we get a chance to look in the back and it's a it's a it's called a savanna or woodland, mm-hmm. and that's what a lot of people, most lay people, don't understand that they, they're always taught that cutting a tree and fires two things we yeah. know are bad for wildlife, and it's exactly the opposite. So, yeah. so our one of our most important tools here is to thin the forest mm-hmm. and foothills and other management areas, and then add fire back to the landscape, and that stimulates all these plants that live under the tree. So, if you got mm-hmm. a closed canopy, and the light's not able to hit. Uh, there's no food being produced. So people always say, well, aren't acorns important wildlife food? Well, yes, but 
for two or three months, yes. So mm -hmm. the rest of the 10 months, there's no food available. Mm -hmm. So we have to thin the forest and stimulate these foods. And that's, yeah, I talked to my deer hunters and said, well, have you ever seen a deer climb a 70-foot tree and eat the top out of it? And I, yeah. said, <laughs> I said, no, unless you drink a moonshine. So, uh, so that's important that we have forbs and plants growing underneath on the bottom of the forest mm -hmm. as well as some acorns scattered around. Mm -hmm. And so we try to, you know, this is not Im impossible to do in big scale, but we try to pick out, there are individual trees that really produce lots of acorns. And we uh -huh. see that, that they, these trees typically produce almost every year. Mm -hmm. So those are the ones that if we can identify those, we definitely keep those in the landscape and the rest of them don't. It's like the dogs that hunt and don't hunt. Yep. <laughs> they both eat the same amount. One hunts, one doesn't hunt. So. Right. If we take the one that doesn't hunt away from the one that does hunt, and we give that one more energy and more daylight, more nutrients, it will even produce more acres yep, yep. and a better timber tree at, at the at, at the end. Mm -hmm. So, it's one of the most healthiest things that we can do is actually cut trees, yep. thin trees, and allow the other trees to thrive and the plants below to thrive. Each animal, whether it's a quail, a rough grouse or a pheasant, any upland bird for that matter, has got to have three things. They've got to have cover, they've got to have food, and they've got to have water. Um, and a quail, you know, a quail, luckily, a quail can use its food as cover a lot of times. That's exactly right. So, yeah, so the average lifespan of a quail is six months. Wow. So that that is, so you have a couple of bad years, you can see how yeah. detrimental yeah. that can be. So six months, so everything eats a quail. Uh, you know, we have, documentations of bullfrogs eating baby quail. Now, is wow. bullfrogs causing the quail decline? No, but everything <laughs> eats quail. So that's raptors and snakes and small yeah. mammals. And we know everything likes quail, including meat, is delicious. Oh, you know? yes. but, so, but, so that they have to have cover. That's the mm -hmm. most limiting thing is cover. And if the, the more they have to travel, the more likely they are to get whacked by some mm -hmm. predator. Mm -hmm. So if their food and cover, just as you described, are the close together, the less they have to move, mm -hmm. the more likely they are going to yep. survive. And you know, earlier, I think maybe this might have got cut out when we had technical difficulties, but um, it's it may seem to some people, because, because we are focusing on like the quail, that this is like a single species management, but it's not. Right. I mean, like you were saying before, the things that you're doing, in order to enhance the quail uh, population are also enhancing other wildlife populations and uh, providing for those species as well. So I think people um, that may not be as, uh, um, I guess, interested in the quail and the return of the bobwhite, they they might not realize that what that means for some other species that they're really, you know, interested in exactly uh, conserving. Exactly right. So. It's, it's, it's almost... You can't even hardly name a species that does not benefit mm -hmm. from bobwhite management. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, you know, again, like we were talking about, yes, bears, you know, they have to have some mature forest, but what what do they eat in the summer? And, that, mm -hmm. and you look over there, it's mostly berries. Bear. So blackberries and blueberries mm -hmm. thrive in these openings. I think Leslie likes a lot of the blackberries too. As we that's, right, that's right. I was grazing a little bit <laughs> over there. <laughs> I love them too. <laughs> I told her, I said, they should be good. He just sprayed the herbicide on them. I'm benefiting <laughs> from this project as well. <laughs> so we 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 have got kiker bottoms where it needs to be. Would you say it's pretty close to where it needs to be if we can sustain where it's at? It is, but if if anything here, we're getting a little bit too woody. So we, okay. we try to strive for 
what we're managing here is a third, a third, a third. So a third grass, a third forbs, and a third shrubby or brushy area. So, you know, a lot of people call a quail a, a grassland bird, and that's that's not correct. Right. They are a shrubland bird is what I would say. So they they need these clumps of woody, you know, the, the so we have the, you know, dogwood trees and, and elderberries, blackberries. We have these clumps around with the grass and forbs all mixed together. Mm -hmm. And so they need those places to get in from weather and from predators. And then, of course, blackberries are a great um, source of food for mm -hmm. us and them. And they're also protective. They can crawl under there. So rabbits abound here, you know, also. And so another thing that people don't understand, well, why can't I just let my fescue grow up? Well, the structure. It's the structure mm -hmm. of the plants that are in place. So how are quail the same in Texas or Oklahoma or Tennessee? They're all different species of plants. Mm -hmm. But the structure is the same. And mm -hmm. it has to be protective from predators above and open underneath so they can... So they can feed and move through easily. Mm -hmm. Most of the time they're walking. They only flush at the last resort. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're a bird that walks typically all the time. And that structure also happens to help wild turkeys. Mm -hmm. Wild turkeys, if, if we look at anything, what is lacking wild turkeys going down? And, and number one is lack of nesting cover and last of, of brood cover. Mm -hmm. And so those two things are also here Mm -hmm. That happens to help bobwhites, but it also helps with turkeys. So, what about a deer fawn? Where, where, where can a deer, if he, if, if the deer's fawn is laying out in the middle of a forest with no vegetation on it, if we can see it, every predator can see mm -hmm. it. Yep. Or if it's a mowed fescue field and there's a fawn laying out, every predator can I see it. I actually just saw that happen. I was working and there was a brand new baby, like right in the middle of a field, right. and I for a second thought it was a, a big house cat, and right. then. I, I started walking towards it, and it moved over into this shrubby area, and I thought, well, now something probably won't get it, because where it was at, I mean, a hawk could have come down oh, yeah. and killed it, yeah. and and so, yeah, I mean, um, you know, those, uh, this kind of cover is important to, like, many species, sure. and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's, some people don't, um, like you said, cutting trees, bad, fire, bad. Mm -hmm. But but what we need to understand is that these are fires a natural process since the beginning of time, and we've manipulated things to where it's not so natural. And so in some areas it decimates the land, and it, and we see all that on the media. You talked about that earlier when it got cut out. That's you know right. we see all these bad stories about fire, but that's not what's going on here. You know what's happening here is a natural process that you know we're helping to bring back so that. You know, you do have all this great cover and this protection and this food. And um, so I, I just think that um, it gets a bad rap, fire in particular, it gets a bad rap and, and logging. Sure, so. sure. And that, those are two most important. Of course, you know, fire has to be used correctly, too. Mm -hmm. We're trained, the, these, the students, you know, they all come out with, they're certified in, in fire behavior and mm -hmm. training. And so it's important. We don't just you know, willy-nilly throw matches out the yeah. window and let it go. And there's the bald eagle. Yeah, yeah the weather. The <laughs> I was just saying, that's the word. And we're filming, and there's a bald eagle here in the background. It's behind the camera. You can't see. I wish I had a cameraman here that could flip it around. But there's – yeah. It's a uh, yeah, real – we are in a – Bill has created well, – I'm not going to say Bill's created. Bill has managed and in the process has created a very diverse – uh, wildlife management here that is thriving now 
the reason Bill and I really wanted to do this podcast is to talk about another area that we had talked about earlier, Foothills Wildlife Management Area, that the way the eagle flies or the way the crow flies is over our rear rear right, our right shoulders, kind of uh, northeast of us, Foothills Wildlife Management Area. Now, here on Kiker Bottoms, we have a little over 600 acres. On Foothills Wildlife Management Area, Bill, if I'm correct, we got a little over 10,000. That's correct, 10,000. And what Bill is trying to do, Bill's just like the rest of us. He's get, he's not getting any younger. <laughs> For and, sure. and, and, and Bill is a... I know all the followers that we have and the people going to watch and hear this podcast are bird hunters. Bill is a biologist that is a bird hunter. Bill has Britney's. Bill grew up bird hunting. Birds is would would you say Bill? Birds are probably the closest thing to your heart oh, as yeah. far as animals. Absolutely. Bill, Bill is an upland guy. He he takes his trips out west. He bird hunts. He really eats, sleeps, and breathes these birds. And what Bill is trying to do is to get both of these areas set up for the next generation and his successor to follow him to take over. He wants to get all this in place and get it where it needs to be or on the right path before before Bill ends up retiring. So we're talking about Foothills Wildlife Management Area. Foothills Wildlife Management Area is a totally different looking, even though it's just five miles up the road, it looks different than what we have here. Bill has took a basically a pine thicket, would you say, Bill? Yeah, it's a closed canopy forest, mixed mm -hmm. oak, you know, hard mixed hardwoods and, and uh, shortleaf pine. And what Bill's trying to do there is create a pine savanna. Or, uh, you know, it, we're going to have some video of Foothills also. When we leave here, we're going to go video some at Foothills. But we're going to show you the the diversity that we just have in our little, uh, as, you know, five miles from, from itself here. You know, right here we've got open fields with uh, some woody cover, but we've got a lot of uh, shrubby. And um, if you look here, to the untrained eye, it looks like a field of weeds. Well, you go to Foothills at the untrained eye, it basically looks like a forest. Well, what Bill is doing is extensive logging practices. We are, uh, he's got a great set of loggers that's working, and he's trying to thin the canopy to bring a savanna, which is going to look totally different than Kiker Bottoms. That's where we want to go now, Bill. What, where are we at on Foothills, and where do we want to be on Foothills Wildlife Management Area? Okay, mo most of the data, at least the latest research indicates that you roughly need at least 1,200 acres of, of early succession community, plant communities to, to have a quail population to thrive over the long run. Mm -hmm. And so here again, we're at 658 and we're losing land all around us. So, so mm -hmm. urban sprawl and uh, fescue or forest, all these are, there, there are, there's, there's, there aren't any quail around here. We, we do, Quail counts here, and then we have the students occasionally. They'll do counts around, and we have you know other birders and people doing counts around Kiker Bottom. So roughly a 20-mile radius <coughs> around here, and we're not picking up any birds. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. th this is it. This is a donut hole that's left. So mm -hmm. just what you're saying, we're looking. Where can these birds expand? And that the whole thought was we'd have these these focal areas where we'll have quail in them and manage for them, and then they'll hopefully move out into the private lands. Well, the private lands are not managing for quail. Right. And they're not going to thrive on a fescue uh, field that's been mowed, you know, four times a summer. 
or or a forested area. Mm -hmm. So where do we have close by? And that's Foothills WMA. Mm -hmm. And that's what I have, you know, uh, under my somewhat control, I guess. And so what are we going to do there to make it better for not only Bob White's, but everything? Hopefully mm -hmm. maybe grouse will, could respond there, but for particularly black bears and wild turkeys and, and deer, mm -hmm. as well as you, I hope you're hearing all these different birds that are around mm -hmm. us right here. And they're all important, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. uh, the ones we shoot and the ones we don't. I right. like them all. Mm -hmm. But but mainly the, the wildlife management area up there is, is to produce areas for bear, turkeys, and deer. Mm -hmm. And so when we thin the forest, uh, we give bears places in the summer to, to have particularly berries and forbs that they need mm -hmm. right now. And the, the National Park, which is just over on our other side of the border, and everybody thinks, okay, that place is full of game. It's a national park. So where do you go in, in 540,000 acre park? Where do you go to see wildlife? Cades Cove, the only opening in 540,000 mm -hmm. acres is less than one-tenth of one percent. I don't know what exactly mm -hmm. what the percentage is, but this one little opening, and that's where wildlife tends to thrive. Mm -hmm. And the past little while where they're doing more burning there and, and uh, opening up some of those areas, uh, first time in my lifetime I could hear a bobwhite and watch a black bear mm -hmm. at the same time, and that's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what we're trying to do at, at Foothills is have these openings. And in the summer, we're bombarded with bears on foothills because there are not many openings in the park. They're mm -hmm. all coming to us to find the berries. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to open, that's our goal, is to open 1,200 acres or thin the forest. Now, is it, it, you know, people think this is a clear cut, you know, no, it's, it's a thinning. So we want to open it up. Some are thicker than others, and we have mixed hardwood, some pine. We have what you describe as a pine savanna. We have some oak savannas, and we have mostly a mixture mm -hmm. of oak and, and, and pine trees that we leave. Mm -hmm. And we leave, try to leave the species that are more resistant to fire, which mm -hmm. shortleaf pine is and white oaks are, and we use fire there as a tool also. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's brought back to the same message over and over, and it's we need to thin and we need to add fire back to the landscape. Yeah, I, I think the, the, wrong, the wrong perspective, not perspective, but... The, where people looks at this and has got it wrong is they think bear not just not just quail but bears deer turkey they all need a lot of woods <clears throat> that's and they're scared to death to cut right um whether it be a grouse whether and, and grouse and quail where i see a grouse and quail is a lot of same they love disturbance that's right just but they have to have they disturbance. have to have disturbance and i'm not talking only grouse and quail we're talking about the warblers. We're talking, sure. if you want, as a bird watcher, you know, if you're just a bird watcher listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, uh, you may never have had a gun in your hand. But now if, if you know as well as I do where you see most of your birds is in disturbed areas. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, when you go to a mature forest as in like Cherokee National Forest, it's 500-something thousand acres, they, they're, they're, they're plan, in their plan, they're supposed to cut I think um, their cutting plan was eight percent. I, I think it's it's either I think it's like eight percent of their forest is supposed to be cut every five to ten. I forget ex exactly the numbers, but I do know their cutting on the national forest has been less than one tenth of one percent for the past ten years, which there's no cutting going on. All we have is mature hardwoods, and like Bill was saying, everybody thinks that's where all the wildlife is. That's not where the wildlife is mm -hmm. because, you know, 
first of all, when you got a forest that large of just huge mature hardwoods, it's not good on the carbon imprint for that area, first of all. And and second of all, you you know, you have no new growth. There's like he was saying, Cades Cove is really the only new growth and Foothills Wildlife Management Area, which, you know, in a direct line of sight is very close to the you know, to the park. Matter of fact, it butts. Does it back up? It, it, it touches the Foothills Parkway, yep. so National Park, but right. Yep. So and it, and so, yeah, the National Park's not going to cut trees. And, and people wonder why they see bears in these towns. Wonder why they see bears in the flatlands. It's because Bill was saying a while ago, you know, an oak don't produce every year, and when it does, it only produces three months of the year. These animals got to have food. That's one of their three things. So when you've got a national forest like we have that's not cutting, not doing active cutting like they're doing, animals are going to leave to find what they have and that and that's what bill's trying to get here at foothills wma and you you said you were trying to you were striving for at least 1200 acres that's right so so you know literally we'll have uh, eight to eight plus thousand acres still will be totally forested yep you know and, and ideally i would even open it more than that but that's our, that's our set goal for right now is 1200 mm -hmm. acres and you have how many acres you say you think you've got open we've, we've got about six to seven hundred and how so. long is that taken that's <laughs> about five years yeah and so we're we, we don't have a big logging operation on we have a small logging operation going and because uh we we got some great loggers that we we trust and know and they're they're not just doing a lot of soil disturbance so it's 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 in a it's slower but it's a way better quality mm -hmm. i would say mm -hmm. in the method that that we're using and again we have uh me and one other guy trying to yep. watch all this and so we have people that we trust and doing a great job and and doing minimal disturbance we have to worry about uh, logging operations that aren't done done in the correct way can mm -hmm. cause problems just like fire not using mm -hmm. the correct mm -hmm. way can be a problem so we have to use them in the correct way mm -hmm. but if you go up there and see all these you know and we'll have to mention pollinators that's a big oh, yeah. thing yeah. everybody's talking about pollinators so so right, literally eight out of eight out of all of your ten bites of food that you eat comes mm -hmm. from something that pollinates it. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have pollinators, uh, we're going to we're going to be out of business. You exactly. Know? Mm -hmm. So look look in a closed canopy forest underneath there. Is there any flowers? Not many. No. Is there a, a field that's been mowed five times? Are there any flowers? So we're wondering why bob whites are disappearing and why bees are disappearing, and that's the two reasons. Mm -hmm. So if we manage the land correctly, we will have those. Mm -hmm. And what people call weeds is important food for mm -hmm. pollinators mm -hmm. and happen and for bob whites. So if you go up to foothills at the correct time, you know, especially in the fall, and you see these thinned areas that have been burned, it's just flowers everywhere. It's mm -hmm. not only is it, it it's beautiful. Now the average landowner would have mowed that five times. Mm -hmm. He would have never seen that flower. He would have never let the, the land get to that point. Mm -hmm. And so we we somehow have to show the beauty and you know what what I understand. I'm way over here, but what I think is beautiful is full of life. Mm -hmm. And what most people think is beautiful is dead, and that's a mowed fescue. Manicure. Field. That's manicure, right. Manicure. So so that's right so the, the sprayed fence rows and mm -hmm. the, the manicured mode is there's not there's just death there's mm -hmm. nothing living on that now you you said you've got a little over 600 acres logged now your vision was when you started logging the 600 acres the open the forest floor up all your forbs and stuff starts coming along you start doing some burns what what you was hoping is 
we go back to the if they if you build it they will find it or if you build it they will come you have built around 600 acres of great savanna bird cover um, whether it be turkeys quail deer whatever have we seen the quail come into that area no and unfortunately um the old saying "build it and they will come" used to be true, mm-hmm. especially when I was a kid, or even maybe when we even when we started here mm-hmm. 25 years ago. But unfortunately, quail populations, particularly, have fallen so low, and they they don't migrate like you know most of our songbirds do, and they don't travel long distances without being predated. If right. they're in an open forest or an open fescue field, they're going to get eaten. Mm-hmm. So there has to be some way for them to get there, and unfortunately, there's not a way for them to get there. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is you build it and there's nothing to come, basically. That's right. So everything's benefiting but the bobwhites. The bobwhites just aren't there. And the only way they're going to get there is if we move wild birds there. That's Mm -hmm. the only way. So so what we, uh, the turkeys are responding, Mm -hmm. deer are responding, bears are doing great. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, you know, songbirds are amazing. So 20-something years that I've had foothills, I've never seen a redheaded woodpecker immediately on our first cut and first burn we have redhead woodpeckers nesting wow. everywhere wow so literally you know that's a bird that can migrate mm-hmm. longer distances uh-huh. so if you make it right boy they respond quickly just like right. they did here but but we had we had a few quail here right yep you and so they were it. able to respond yep and so they exploded <laughs> and there unfortunately uh, you know, we, we build our all of our access roads. We, we thin on each side of the roads so that it does have early, section, early succession plant communities all the way up. So we have a highway, so to speak, oh. from the valley to get up there, but there's nothing in the valley. Yep. It's, everything in the valley is, is fescue or forest, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and no quail. We're not hearing any quail there. So there's mm-hmm. no quail anywhere close. This is the closest place for a quail to move to that place. Mm-hmm. And, Unfortunately, we can make it perfect, but quail are not a bird that migrates long distances. Right. That's right. not. So we're looking at a, you know, we now Caleb's working on the the telemetry project, and it's, you know, it's a lot of this is so great. We're fine. You know, we're learning a lot of things through mm-hmm. that. But we have some telemetry collars on Bob White's here, and they are moving, probably further than we thought. So they're, but they are moving roughly a mile or so mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that's just simply not. If we had the same cover all the way to foothills, yep, maybe yep. that yeah. could happen. But unfortunately, we do not have mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and so that's kind of where Bill and I started talking. We have got to do a podcast. I told Bill, I said we have got to do a podcast. We've got to bring awareness to the situation of we're building it and they're not showing up for simple reason. You know, you've you've got to have seed for them to show up, and there you know there's just no seed there. So this is leading us into what do we need? We, he's talked about he's got birds uh, with collars on them here. The telemetry has shown that are traveling up to a mile. Um, what we're going to need basically is wild birds brought in. And anybody that has follows TWRA, which is the Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency, and has saw the commission meeting, I think it was in May, um, Wally Akins, a friend, mutual friend of mine and yours, and uh, has has been with the agency a long time. Also, they've come up with a quail initiative in Tennessee that they're going to do some focal areas and and some other stuff. And basically, they're going to try to raise to make breeding factories. Basically, to to you know to come to short of it. Okay, Bill has, was telling me said Josh, 
um, Tall Timbers, which everybody knows who Tall Timbers in Upland World is, the research facility in the Red Hills of uh, Florida and Southern Georgia, says, hey, we can come up and we can supply wild birds, but guess what? Before we do that, we have got, they've got, you know, guidelines and criteria you got to meet before they can come in. And they're saying we need 1,200 acres to work with minimum. Right. And so that's where we're at now. We're, we're at 600 plus in, in, in five years a time. And we're trying to get to the 1,200 acres. And we've kind of run up on a roadblock of, of funds. Um, it takes money to log. Um, the logging isn't free. You don't just now. It's kind of different private property versus something like this. If if I own 20 acres as a private citizen of, of tall mature hardwoods, yeah, those loggers are going to come in and do it for free because they're going to take that wood and sell it and get their money. You know, it's it's a little different ball game. But where we're at here is we got to pay these loggers to do this logging for us because a lot of the stuff that they're logging is undesirable to it's them. Not profitable. It's 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 not profitable to them. So basically. You're having to scratch funds from funds you don't have. Well, in in, in this case, most of the time they they they're selling timber, and, and and TWRA gets a a check. In other words, it it doesn't go to the individual government; it goes to the TWRA general fund. Okay. So they are. It is literally we're getting habitat and not and and actually getting money and also okay okay, okay. It, it's okay, the best okay. of both worlds okay. is is a logging operation and 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 the problem is is the public sometimes doesn't understand that okay so we're getting habitat and we're getting also we're getting funded for it not mm -hmm. just all money going out okay but most people saying oh logging's bad that's bad yeah. so we shouldn't do that so it's the public outcry is kind of hindered in the in the national forest right and even right. to our lands to extent is not understanding how healthy and needed that is, mm -hmm. uh, the public outcry sometimes stops that from happening. Right, right. And we have to we have to follow a whole lot of guidelines before mm -hmm. we actually have a timber harvest. Right. So, and that's what we're doing in this situation. It started from a from a hurt from a <coughs> tornado actually, and so it was a sal. We had to, we were able to. There's birds whistling in the background right, right now. Bob Watts. So a salvage cut, and that's what started this operation. And so they were going in there. Most of these trees that they were, were taking out were already on the ground anyway. Uh -huh. So the difference in a smalling operation like we got, a family-owned operated situation there, they don't need huge acreages and lots of real expensive high-grade timber to make a living. Okay. They're, they're in a lot smaller scale, so that's exactly who we need there. Well, that's exactly who we need working That's with, exactly yeah. right. So, you know, these other these other areas like the national forest and these kind of places they, they will probably uh you know that they're they're looking for these bigger operations mm -hmm. that have you know, a lot of expensive equipment and they need right. large acreages to go but we we somehow have got to convince uh the non-educated public about wildlife anyway that thinning forest is is beneficial not only yes. to the forest but particularly the wildlife that mm -hmm. needs it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So anything super crowded, so you, we can see it out west, and and that is you know apples and oranges out west where they have humidities of of single digits, yeah. and they have you know eight to ten inches of rain, and we're having sixty eight inches of rain plus. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. There mm -hmm. is a difference there, mm -hmm. but but even out there, those plants are adapted to fire, mm -hmm. and they're going to burn. 
So when the conditions are right, and we know what that is, then you have a prescribed fire, a controlled fire, and it removes that a lot of that those problems. It thins the forest, makes it more healthy from insects and damaging fire later. And somehow we have to realize, but the vicious circle is the media sees it. They see a giant fire, 40,000, 50,000 acres destroyed. And it's because we put out fire for 75 to 100 years and to the point we can't stop the and fire. And the fuel load on the ground is so massive exactly. that once it starts, it, it's hard to stop it. And right. I don't know why they're not talking to foresters. Because if you talk to a forester, a true forester, a forester is not going to tell you cutting trees is bad. Don't ever cut trees. Right. You know, so it's not, I mean, you're talking to the person who, you know, they chose that as their career, their life, you know, is forestry. And, uh, and so, I mean, we need to listen to those folks. I mean, they know. They, they're educated about it. They understand what needs to happen. And the wildlife biologists and, I mean, um, people that get up on their uh, soapbox just because of, you know, they have some connection to Smoky Bear or something, I, I just don't get it. Because if you truly care about the environment and you really care about wildlife and you care about the, our forests and... Um, and everything, then you need to find out. And if you talk, what better way than to talk to the educated people who know? Sure, sure. You know, we, we, you know we're, we're not, we don't know everything. We're still, everybody's still learning. Yeah. Just like a medical doctor doesn't know everything about the human body, but that's who I want, you know, doing my heart operation. I don't want somebody, I hear that from a lot of people goes, well, I'm in the woods a lot. You need to do this. I say, well, my grandmother was in the hospital a lot. You know, but so, so no, I mean, and just like medical doctors and biologists, you know, we don't know everything. And so you should listen mm -hmm. to people. Absolutely. But let the people that have the experience and education to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, and I don't know why we let movie stars and, and whoever, uh, actors and singers and songwriters athletes you know, and, and athletes talk about wildlife management or cutting trees bad or, or trapping is bad or what mm -hmm. they, you know, I don't go in and bust into the movie and while they're making movies and oh, you need to do that scene this way. Let no, me do your you, stunts. You, you did that. That's right. <laughs> so let the people that are, that are trained in that profession make that decision. Yes the public and everybody should be adding information to that mm -hmm. and we should be open to listen to that but let the professional people make that that decision on how it's managed absolutely now, now i want to i want to bust in here just a little bit the sounds that you're hearing right now that's not sound effects <laughs> We've got Caleb, our, our tech over here. He's he's doing the air. We play the air guitar. He's got the air gun going. <laughs> he's, he's shooting these geese as they fly by. We are, as we're sitting here doing this podcast, we have wild quail. I hope you've heard them whistling. We've had one here probably 20, 30 yards of us whistling. We've had geese that you just heard come through. The bald eagle. The, a bald eagle. We're thriving. We're management is taking place we've got pollinators we've got everything good like we've got, right here we've got everything good bill what's it going to take to get foothills where it needs to be well okay let me ask you this we had talked about you know raising money for uh, a quail transplant transplant quail into foothills wma we know they need to a be reintroduction, a reintroduction maybe. basically um, everybody knows, and if you look back on Hungarian partridge, pheasant, chucker, you know, 
uh, all these birds, these birds are not native to the United States. They're not even native to North America. All these birds were brought in and introduced into climates and environments in which they are in their natural state. We know that reintroduction to an area will work if they have the three things that they need, food, cover, and, and water. Um, so what we're trying to do is to get birds back on Foothills Wildlife Management Area. Now everybody also knows that in order to get birds thriving, you have to do it on a landscape scale. You know, you've got to have a large scale. You can't just start, and this is a perfect example, Kiker Bottom, 600 acres. There's probably, what would you say, 15 to 18 coveys of birds here? Yeah, and, that right. And, and the land around it, you don't have birds because people are not managing for birds. Now, I'm sitting here looking out across the, the valley over here to a mountainside that is early successional habitat that I would be willing to bet I could run my bird dog through there and jump a covey of birds up that's there. Right, that's right. And that's private land. What we're going to have to, it, it takes landscape uh, scale stuff for this to happen. So, 10,000 acres is Foothills Wildlife Management Area. That's pretty, that's a pretty large plot of land around here. 10,000 acres is a lot of land, whether you're in Kansas, Texas, Tennessee, or wherever. And people here, it's 10,000 acres managed for quail. Wow, that's huge. That's what we're doing. Me and Bill, or excuse me, Bill and I have been talking what we need to do to get together because we're wanting to help Bill and TWRA, you know, as far as what, what can we do to help. And he said, you know, Josh, he said one thing would be, you know, help us burn, help us work, stuff like that. And I told him, I said, you know what, my wife has, I think she's certified to burn through the federal government. So, you know, she's covered there. We can jump in when it's burning season. We can help them. I said, what else can we do, Bill? I said, if I gave you $30,000, could you um, call Tall Timbers and say, hey, bring me $30,000 worth of birds? He said, we couldn't do that. I said, Bill, I said, if um, I, I asked him how much it was going to cost for the transplant to take place. And he said it was going to be about $30,000. And I said, if I give you the 30000 could it take place? He said, no, that won't happen like that. And I said, well, let me ask you this. If I designate $30,000 to Foothills Wildlife Management Area, would it happen? He said, unfortunately, the way our system works is everything goes into the general fund and redistribution, you know, we, it, it wouldn't likely happen like that neither. And I said, okay. I said, if I went and got the money and took to Tall Timbers itself, and said, here's $30,000 $30, over the next few years, could you reintroduce birds to Foothills Wildlife Management Area? He said, that would probably work. <clears throat> I talked to the, the main guy over the TWRA, which his name is Bobby Bob, Wilson. Bobby yep, Wilson. Bobby Wilson. Bobby Wilson says, hey, I told him, I told him what we wanted to do. He said, hey, Josh, he said, I really, really, really thank you for contacting me. Anything that my biologists say, they need and will work i will stand behind and sign off of in the meantime they've started this quail initiative in the state of tennessee which they're going to try to get focal areas where they can transplant within the state <clears throat> if they get the populations dense enough hopefully they can well i also talked to to bill about transplanting from kiker bottoms to what foothills wildlife management area and he said it's kind of robbing peter to pay paul yeah. and we just don't know if there's enough birds to sustain themselves if we start trying to stop foothills wild so in the long run we don't want in the short we don't want to take everything we have here and run it in the ground to try to start something else so this is where we are so this is a cry out for 
in the future we're, we're we're putting something together i asked bill i said so where could you use money bill <clears throat> i mean i know twra is limited to what they can do where could you use money he said we can put it in logging we can put it in burning we can put it in all the practices to get foothills where it needs to be and that way in the future we have the 1200 acres that tall timbers wants uh to work with and in the future we can stock off these other wmas and bring in here so we're not asking for for money right now but in the future we're going to be working with the uh, bill here at twra and wally akins which is a um, he is the chief assistant chief of wildlife assistant chief of wildlife we're going to be working with these guys so we're going to set a goal initially of 30 to thirty-five thousand dollars that we're going to try to raise to help these guys get this place where it needs to be this is your land this is my land this is i don't want to really sound like i'm singing a song here. <laughs> but the song is really true this is your land this is my land it's for us to use and we need to take care of it uh we all cry out for membership for quail forever do that uh pheasants forever rough grouse society american woodcock society as a hunter even a non-hunter we need to we need to we're we members we're members of everything we can think of we can go above and beyond um quail numbers are coming back whether people want them or not we're going to bring quail back to this area whether people want it or not but i, I told somebody the other day they said it's been it's been tried i said it's never the the work has never been put into quail as what we're doing now here where we're at years ago but going forward bill's not alone now uh bill's we've got wally akins uh watching the commissioners meeting we've got all the commissioners on board i mean we're gonna come in here head first we're gonna we're gonna nip this thing in the bud and like i keep saying the birds are going to be back whether you want them or not everybody wants the birds uh, whether you're a hunter or not, uh, I've had women tell me, you know, old ladies, you know, I just like hearing them whistle. I haven't heard them in years. So, mm -hmm. um, it's I, one I, of the most recognizable it sounds is. to me, you know, the Bob White. It is. And doing this podcast, I really hope you have heard all these birds whistling here around. It's just like, I, I honestly, there was one right there. I honestly feel, Bill, that I am in a very, very, very bird rich environment. And it don't even feel like East Tennessee here. And it makes me happy that it is. But it, it just feels just, you know, I am I feel like I'm sitting in Kansas at bird camp, you know. But it, this probably reminds you more of what you what you saw as a young boy. It, it, I, this it, is what you saw more of around here before, you know, we had, um, you know, the lakes. Exactly. The even manipulated even the when lakes I hunted in the late 80s created. a lot in the early 90s, this is the stuff that we hunt. Sure. I mean, we don't have we don't have the hundreds of acre milo fields with the kosher and the CRP backed up to it. Right. This is what we've hunted growing up. This is what our bird dogs know. And uh, a lot of people they like bird dogs in this area because they used to. Those dogs were afraid to get into cover. I mean, these dogs they had to get into cover to find birds. So this is what we, what I grew up hunting, we're we're wanting, like I said, to get foothills where it's going. So off camera and basically off radio here we we talked a little bit while we had technical difficulties and what we need is we're we're going to see where the twra is going with this thing we are we want to bring awareness is the main thing i want to do right now is bring awareness of what we're trying to do what has been done 
and the success or the success that we've had and the success moving forward we know what can possible our possibilities are because it's been proven bill's proven it here um bills uh, you was even in quail forever didn't quail forever have a write-up on what you've done here on kiker bottoms they have, they they, have and yeah. i thought i read that two or three years ago um there's youtube videos of bill succession mm -hmm. uh, success bill is a bird guy okay listeners here's what we ask from you stay tuned um we're going to see what we need to do if we need to get funds for equipment if we need to get funds for more logging if we need to get funds for the transplants of the birds we as bill was saying you know we we're going to they're working hard they're going to start working hard on these focal areas we're going to try to make our and texas is a prime example of this they they have areas where they relocate from a lot in texas um what we're going to try to do and as bill was saying hey you know they might start these bird factories and we still might not get the birds here because they think they need to take them somewhere else well anybody that's ever been through tennessee knows that east tennessee and west tennessee is two totally different it looks totally different west tennessee looks a lot like your well it's basically it's it's ag land it's farmland um the population is not as dense as it is here in east tennessee um <clears throat> so a lot of the funds get spent in those areas so what we're going to try to do is we're going to get them back here in east tennessee um we don't know exactly yet what we need to do as far as the funds go so we're not announcing anything yet but stay tuned and keep your ears out because we know we have patrons that can alone you know we know we have single patrons that can fund this whole if it in if it comes to be that we need thirty thousand dollars for bird trans you know transplant from x to z we know we've got patrons that can fund the whole thing so we're not worried about raising the funds we will raise the funds when we know where the funds are needed so just stay tuned is what we're going to say on that stay tuned but i want everybody to track the progress that we're doing here in east tennessee it's easy to find go on youtube go on twra's website look at tennessee's quail initiative they're coming out with we're excited I get mean, educated and spark the conversation start talking about it i to me i think that's the most important thing is uh is talking about it i i like to learn more and more about whatever i just am an inquisitive person and i think a lot of people are so just have those conversations and bring it up and talk about it because um i'm sure there's landowners out there i know there are because you've yeah. talked to them they don't even they don't they haven't even thought about why the bob white's not around they don't even you know, and, and they are concerned about it, but um, but they didn't, you know, they're just not having those conversations. And so... Um, yeah, spark conversation, yeah. You know, put, whether it's social media mm -hmm. or, you know, just by word of mouth, you know, spark the conversation. If you're on vacation, you see somebody from East Tennessee and you get to talking to them and you realize, hey, they're a hunter like you are, whether they be a bird hunter, a big game hunter, or what it is, hey, how's the quail doing in East Tennessee? Man, I used to, I remember when we used to go over there 20 years ago, they had, you know, bird numbers. How's the bird numbers? Spark conversation. Keep everything going. We are going to stay in touch with Bill Smith here. Uh, very close touch. We're going to do our, we're going to try to do our part. Um, we know man hours is what they really need also. So we're going to jump in head first. If we have any listeners that are local that wants to jump in and help Bill, um, it's you'll take anybody you can get. Sure, we you, you call our office directly to become a, a volunteer, mm -hmm. 
and uh, give you call and give some information. We depend. We we use the students again. I've told you that before. I have four areas and one guy that's a full-time technician, and the and the rest of it we depend on volunteer help mm -hmm. and also University of Tennessee students a lot. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, but right the. I, I guess the most, I, I'm so, I'm just bubbling over, over with encouragement of at, here at, at the, almost at the end of my career, but finally we've got all this traction of, that people that care and talking about mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and wanting to do more for Bob Whites. And mm -hmm. we have to do it, I mean, really soon. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at it, probably a 90% decline in our state mm -hmm. since I was a, a little boy till now. Mm -hmm. So if we don't do something, I mean, really quick, we're going to lose them forever. We we mentioned that they, they have a six month lifespan, average lifespan. So that's that's not long. And when you have two or three bad years, they can completely disappear. So. And I tell you what, it's sad, Bill, that it takes. And Indiana's a prime example. They just listed the rough grouse as uh, on the endangered species list. We, it's sad that stuff has to get to that level before people recognize and, and start taking action. We don't want it to get that no. here in East Tennessee. Um, I'm telling you, people, there is birds. There's a few birds around. I've got a lot of farms that I turkey hunt on and, and this, that, and the other. I've heard birds whistling. Birds are here. We are just going to have to, we hope private landowners, I would love for private landowners to jump on board and say, man, I, I've been running cattle for, you know, 30 years. It's come to the end of my time. You know, I'm really wanting to retire. I want to do this to my land. Bill, we've got uh, private lands biologists along with Quail Forever that helps in these parts. Uh, that's something that's very easily done with the NRCS locally um, and stuff like that. It's it's that could be a huge step also, could it? Private lands. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, TWRA only owns a small percentage of, of land, so of course, you know, I preach let's get our house the best it can be. Yep. Mm -hmm. Then then we can move out, but. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of programs uh, out there, just what you mentioned, private lands biologists, and with, and we have some, a, a lot of, and Quail Forever biologists, and TWRA biologists, all are, are, would you know try to help landowners do more. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's really simple, like a field border. So you can still have your, your farming operation and still benefit quail. Yep. And it, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of the extreme is what causes uh, no cover for quail and that is they're doing a few things that probably would save them money mm -hmm. and still help quail mm -hmm. and in their farming operation and mm -hmm. I understand people if you have private land you're trying to make a living or money mm -hmm. off of it I understand those things and so but there are practices that you can do mm -hmm. like field borders as an example where uh, and anyway there's some of these federal programs that will pay you mm -hmm. so Absolutely. you can maybe make more money off of these programs mm -hmm. by farming quail in other words and you can't angus yep yep mm -hmm. and so uh so it's something to look at and, and see which one is important to you right and 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 i'm glad you mentioned that because i think there's a lot of farmers out there a lot of people that are not aware of the programs that are available to them and that's something also that if you're not aware reach out to myself leslie bill smith bill if you could give your contact information how they can get a hold of you your email and stuff like that okay. if they want to contact you directly okay my my uh office number in morristown is 1-800-332-0900 i have a, a a barn number here it's area code 865 eight five six nine seven one one and uh if you you can go through usda or twra any of the 
the regional offices and they'll put you in touch with the the local uh, private lands biologists mm -hmm. that are all the way across the state mm -hmm. if you are interested in that and I, d I just think uh, you know if you're you want to come and see what how quail can respond come mm -hmm. and look yep now yeah. if if uh, you just what I was fixing to say if they want to contact you by email and say they want to come in would you uh, do you let people tour your facility here and your grounds and see what you've done here and basically let come over here and we're actually sitting doing this podcast from a what do you call this right here a lookout or a yeah walk? this is an observation area observation area it, yeah, yeah. Uh, people can actually come over and it's open to the public sure um, they can, do you have an email address you want to give out yeah. if they want to contact it's, it's you bill.a.smith at tn.gov and you know my I will get back but uh, I'm 99% of the time in the field and mm -hmm. we are we, we don't there's not a lot of sitting around time yep. here mm -hmm. yep so it's it, to keep this in early succession, it, you t definitely have to keep. You got to stay on top of it. I've looked, right. and this is a great place to come. Also, not just for the quail. If you just want to come watch birds, uh, I mean, gee, and I don't know how many birds different, you know, breeds that I've seen or species that I've seen flying around this morning, and mm -hmm. and in the winter time, I've sitting that observation or that basically that blind down there on that waterway. It's another observation lookout in the winter time, and see species of ducks that you don't you don't see a lot of, you know, and. It's a pretty neat deal that they've got started here, and and hopefully uh, for the next generation, foothills will be the same. And um, wouldn't it not be awesome, Bill, for to have about 11, 12,000 acres in East Tennessee where people could come and, and and be like it used to be? Oh, it'd be awesome, and, yeah, very much. So. And working with the private landowners around, we're going to get this thing to where it needs to be. We have heard for years, and who uh, we know there's Quail Forever members and Pheasant Forever and Rough Grouse Society members that says, you know, they just want our money. They've never done nothing. We are actively, we, I would say that Quail Forever and Rough Grouse Society is doing more in our area now than they have ever done. And we actually starting to see boots on the ground, especially Rough Grouse Society. There's major movements right now going on to, uh, to get logging done in the, in the national forest, which, um, you know, as well as I do, Bill, once they start logging in the national forest, like they need to be, um, there used to be quail in the mountains too. Sure, sure. I mean, it's it's going to feed it's going to feed each other. But hey, we really, really, really appreciate everybody coming on this weekend. And listen, we know this is a long podcast. We had a lot to talk about. I could sit here for another two hours and talk, but we have to condense it down into a, a, a sizable a file where you want to listen. We want to keep your interest. And like I said, check us out. Wing underscore addiction underscore podcast on Instagram. Check us out at uplandoa at gmail.com. If you want to email us, go on Facebook, search Wing Addiction Podcast. I want to thank our sponsors, Dakota 283 Kennels, Deer Lake Ridge Game Calls, and Brendan Landry down in Louisiana with Cable Gangs. And Leslie, do you have anything you want to add before we wrap uh, it up? No, I, I just really appreciate it. It's been nice talking to you. Um, I've, I've learned a ton here today. Um, in fact, like the the only thing I can think of right now um, is I want to get out here and help out. Like I want to get in the field and like help do some of this work because it's just to me. I mean, I that's that's where my heart is, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so I just encourage anybody else that feels the same way to do the same. And we've got a and we've got a little secret that we're not going to let out yet. But Leslie's hopefully be back home soon and have the position and the job where. 
this is her job is working alongside Bill and doing what she needs to do and we're waiting on that phone call but we're not going to get let the cat out of the bag on that just yet but check us out hey don't forget the Kansas hunt giveaway if you want to go hunting with us in Kansas opening weekend uh, opening week in Kansas that's going to be uh, uh, the 17th through the 19th is our hunt giveaway check us out on patreon.com forward slash wing addiction podcast and if nothing else bill thank you buddy for thank you coming or letting us come basically and do it and and caleb yeah and caleb yep we got the we've got the uh, Josh. tennessee student Josh. and now we've got another, we got one, another one, over one they're, they're feel, multiplying they're multiplying <laughs> over here just like a quail they're multiplying we're gonna we're gonna put uh, radio callers on them turn them loose here also <laughs> <laughs> so everybody check us out and until next time god bless everybody and we'll talk to you hopefully in the next week or two thank you and have a good day